Do you like games? Whether it's Dungeons and Dragons, Final Fantasy, or even my personal nemesis, Monopoly. There's just something about gaming that seems to resonate with many of us. So I guess it only makes sense that there's a new and exciting fantasy subgenre out there, Lit RPG, that brings together this love for gaming with the imagination and escapism of fantasy. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. I'm your host, Travis Tippins. This week's interview is with fantasy author Laura Hughes, who recently published her debut novel, God of Gnomes, under the pen name Demi Harper. Laura and I had a great conversation about games, our dark secrets as fantasy readers, and how incredibly adorable spiders are. I'm sorry, it pains me to say that last part, but Laura does make a compelling argument. Anyway, let's see what she had to say. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, Laura. It's great to have you. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be here from the comfort of my own room. <laughs> yeah, uh, podcast interviews are the most comfortable kind of interviews. I mean, they really are. You don't have to wear pants. Ah, That is true. Although I'm down here in my cold, dark, damp basement, so I'm all bundled <laughs> up. <laughs> And you'll stay down there until you finish the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the acoustics are great, though. <laughs> so uh, one of the first questions I like to ask people a lot of times is just, how did you first fall in love with the fantasy genre? And what has your journey been like since then on the way to becoming an author? Well, as with quite a lot of people, I started with Harry Potter. We actually read it in my primary school when I was in year five. I don't know what grade that is for you Americans. Um, it's probably fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> is that how it works? Uh, maybe. I'm probably off by a year or two, but it's close enough. Ah, that, that makes sense. I was like, I was 10 anyway. It was like, it was the year before I turned 11. And which, yeah, that would be 10. But like, it was the age at where I... I cried when I didn't receive my Hogwarts letter on my 11th birthday. But yeah, so Harry Potter and then the Lord of the Rings movies. My my parents actually dragged me to it. I did not want to go and see Fellowship of the Ring because I knew that like I knew the Lord of the Rings was a book that both of my parents had read and they both liked. And I was like, that must mean I will hate it. And I don't I don't want to do anything <laughs> that like it's going to be rubbish kind of thing. But yeah, I, I came out of that movie just like, oh my God. It all kind of started from there. And then I grabbed as many books as I could like at that age. It weren't that many because I didn't really know where to find them. But I'd read um, like things by Garth Nix. The, um, it's called the Old Kingdom Trilogy. Sabriel and Lyriel and Abortion. Oh yeah, those are great. Yeah, Lyriel was like my favorite book growing up as a teenager. I, I loved it. Um, and yeah, so that, I guess that's that's where it started, and it's just gone either uphill or downhill ever since, depending how you look at it. I'm going to say uphill. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Ah, uh, so I I really could not tell you what the first fantasy book I read was. Is probably do you guys have the Magic Treehouse books over there? Um, they're like children's books that are maybe 10 pages long or something. There's a bunch of them. I don't know. No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, it's probably those. It's about a bunch of kids who, like, they climb up in their treehouse and it transports them to King Arthur's realm or the future or all over the place. Huh. Um, 
So it, it was probably those, but those are more like learning to read books than they are like actual books that you dig into. Yeah. Yeah, the first proper fantasy book that I really fell in love with was uh, David Edding's series, The Malorian. Hmm. So it should have been the Belgariad, but I didn't know which <laughs> series came first, and I was only like 10. Uh, so I read the second series first. And let me tell you, the first book starts off with like a catching everyone up from the last 20 <laughs> years or so from the other series. So that was a lot to get through, but after that, I loved it. But after reading that first chapter, you didn't have to go back and read The Belgariad. Uh, probably true. I, I did go back and read the Belgariad, but so th that was probably like my first proper dive into fantasy. And since then, it's been whatever I can get my hands on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that. And now there's just so many good books out there, right? It's hard to <laughs> know where to go next. Yeah, too many, some might say. I mean, I would, uh, I too, would not say that. Too many is a good thing. <laughs> too many is a good thing. Yeah, I only say that because I wish I had the time to read them all. It's, it's crazy how many there are. Yeah, I tried to read the um the first Belgaria book. Uh, is it Pawn of Prophecy? Um, yeah. They came out with like spiffy new covers and it was like bright blue and it had a sword on it. And I was like, ooh, and I'd heard loads of things about it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. And I didn't get along with it. But I think it's it's just because, you know, when you go back and read classic fantasy novels now, they seem so tropey and like done to death. And it's like, but it wasn't, at the time like it right you know what i mean yeah and i think that's part of why it worked for me as an intro because yeah. it's stuff you know farm boy fantasy is so overdone but it's yeah. something i'd never seen before yeah absolutely yeah like i i've read like a bunch of other books like i read aragon when i was a teenager and like reading pawn of prophecy like a few years ago it was like oh it's ripping off aragon but like i know it isn't it's just it's, it's, <laughs> aragon was ripping this off and you know so it's, it's kind of a shame that it becomes for me it becomes harder to enjoy the classics when i'm reading them this late especially with all the um sort of innovative new fantasy stuff that's out nowadays with the different settings and when you go back to like the old medieval europe style settings it's kind of like uh. yeah and I know for me also when I started blogging I was on a kick of I'm going to go through and catch up and educate myself on all the classics and it, it really feels like a lot of books written 20 30 40 years ago they focused more on big ideas or plot and they didn't really dive much into character mm -hmm. uh, and I really like reading for the characters getting inside other people's heads and going on these adventures rather than exactly what the adventure might be in the first place, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. They're quite distant, aren't they? And they sort of very much tell you what the character's doing, but not you don't really see inside the character's heads as much as you do with someone like, say, Abercrombie. Right. And I mean, that's just a focus maybe on the time of the industry, but a, a lot of people still love those books anyway. So it could just be me being the weird one. I think it, it's all a matter of taste, isn't it? But I, I definitely think sort of fantasy, it's always been sort of known for its worlds. So maybe right. just people just used to focus on that because that was the main draw of the genre. I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I haven't read that much classic fantasy. 
So I'm I'm definitely not an expert on the subject. <laughs> yeah, I mean me neither because I I've tried several and I've had a hard time with most of them. So like yeah. my one of my dark secrets is I I'm really not sure if I enjoy the Wheel of Time that much. <laughs> I've never read it, so I'm perhaps more of okay. a more of a heathen than you. <laughs> From what I've heard, I don't think I would. But I'll probably yeah. check out the TV series. Oh, I, I definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really happy to just totally like drag the subject in a different direction. I'm I'm really excited about how many, how much fantasy is showing up on TV these days. Wheel of Time is being made. You've got the Witcher series is coming out. I don't know when it's actually coming out. Is it soon? It, it's pretty soon. It's like a month and a half, I think. Oh, wow. So yeah, that's that's really exciting. And like... I'm sort of discovering some older stuff. So me and my boyfriend have uh, started watching Firefly. Well, he's seen oh, it. Yeah. He's seen it, but he's like, <laughs> he's been like, you need to watch Firefly. And we're watching Firefly at the moment. And it is just lovely. Yeah. It's like the most perfect thing I've ever seen. Tragically short, but very enjoyable. Yeah. We're, we're making sure, like, I just want to binge it, but we're watching like one episode at a time and savoring it because I, I know that it's limited. We're up to episode five now, I think. And it's just so good. And it just, it makes me happy that things like this exist. And I think like with regard to the more modern, the fantasy stuff, Game of Thrones obviously played a big part in that. Yeah. What did you think about the, um, the controversial oh, ending? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I really didn't love it. I think it's one of those things where... Mm -hmm. Maybe they had a rough outline from George to begin with, and mm -hmm. they hit the pieces of the outline, but for the same reason why people don't spend money to read outlines of fantasy series, and they actually <laughs> want to read the fantasy series. And then, like, coloring in between the lines to, like, get from point A to point B to point C, and just trampling over the characters and everything that had already been built for the show. Uh, so that's that's my very uh, positive spin <laughs> on how I feel about game of thrones at the moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like i mean it could have been a lot worse but like yeah have. the the last the last couple of seasons sort of felt a bit like it was a um a, you know like a join the dots puzzle but they were just sort of like on a moving train or something while they were doing it so they they, <laughs> they went in the wrong order with some of them and they skipped others completely until they got to the end but it wasn't actually that bit shouldn't have been the ending bit yeah. yeah. And and I feel like, to be fair to it, even the last couple seasons are great, like, spectacle. Like, the visuals mm. are incredible. The soundtrack is always on point. The acting is great. I just feel like maybe the writing wasn't quite as good as it could have been. Yeah, I think they're, they're great. I mean, they, they get a lot of shit. But when you take them in isolation from the earlier seasons, they're pretty great like on their own it's just compared to the really really high standards of the big for me like the first two seasons are like the highest the highest points i feel like it sort of went downhill a little bit around season four and then started creeping back up but like people's standards are ridiculously high <laughs> like compared to a lot of other stuff that's on tv seasons was it seven and eight was eight the last one or was it nine yeah eight was the last one yeah, I forget. Um, 
like they're still better than a lot of stuff that's on TV at the moment and they're still representing the fantasy genre and getting people talking about it and I feel like that's that's a good thing but yeah and, and endings are hard yeah I can imagine and it's knowing where to end things as well so like one of one of my pet peeves about um endings is the uh, the end of the Harry Potter series so at the end of Deathly Hallows I hate the epilogue scene with um have you read it I have yes I mean like I was gonna say spoiler alert but it's been out <laughs> for quite a while now um and yeah the epilogue scene when it's like 15 years in the future or whatever and it's Harry and Hermione and Ron and Malfoy and they're taking their kids to get the Hogwarts Express and everyone's like paired off as happy couples and like the kids are all like exactly the same age and they're going to have the same adventures and that was just for me that was just really cheesy it kind of felt like a fan fiction ending yeah I can see that I mean there's there's, there's nothing wrong with fan fiction but like it it didn't feel like it you know it was something written by the author it was just weird. And the, the way they did it in the film was creepy too. <laughs> CGI aging. Yeah, that that often looks just... It's like the, the uncanny valley thing, right? Where it doesn't look quite right. <laughs> wrong. You can even say yeah. it looks wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, ran, random little rant there. Is there anything that like you've ever felt like that about? Like, or anything that you think is, like, at a perfect ending? Um, I'm trying to think. Honestly, most of the time, for me, perfect endings are ones that, like, I'm very happy with, but I kind of cry a little bit at the same time. You know, so it, it doesn't feel like <laughs> oh. it's a cheap ending. It feels like there's a lot of emotional cost to it, but it kind of everything makes sense. Um, I'm trying to think. Off the top of my head, one that ending that I really love is, uh, have you read Tigana by Guy Gabriel K? I haven't, but my friend Taya will have, and she will know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Well, in my opinion, that's a fantastic example of a bittersweet ending done well. Um, so I guess I kind of like that. Hmm. What about the ending of Lord of the Rings? The film versus uh, the book? Which, well, okay. <laughs> this is where I have to like turn in my fantasy card, because uh, it's been... Like, <laughs> I, I think I've seen... Return of the Kings once, and that was like right Are after theaters. Me? Okay, I I've seen Fellowship two or three times. I've seen Return of the King once, and I've seen Two Towers like twelve times. I don't know why it's just worked out that way. <laughs> um, That's really it, weird. It Travis. really is. I I think it's just because uh, <laughs> my dad really enjoys Lord of the Rings films, and he uh, likes the Two Towers the most. At least I'm assuming that's why. Uh, so we watched that a lot. <laughs> it's my least favorite of the trilogy. I love Fellowship is my favorite. And then I like Return of the King. And then Two Towers. I mean, they're all fucking amazing. Um, sorry, you said I could swear, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> There's, I, I am not going to go through here and try to bleep everything out. There's no way. <laughs> it's usually kind of impossible when I'm involved, but I'm I'm trying to be on my uh ah, don't worry about that. Um <laughs> but yeah, so so you don't watch the extended editions of the trilogy every year ritually. Uh, no, I, I probably should, but I, I don't. I'm not big on rewatching or rereading anything, honestly. Mm-hmm. 
it makes sense when there's so much stuff out there. Yeah, there really is. And I, I should go back. I've started rereading favorites occasionally now, uh, partially because uh, I like writing reviews for books I really enjoy. And if there's a favorite from 10 years ago, I feel like I can't do it justice just writing something up about it now. So I like to reread it before. Yes. Yeah, I totally get that. What's like one of your favorites then? Uh, at the moment, uh, one of my favorites is definitely The First 15 Lives of Harry August by Claire North. Are you familiar with it? Oh, I, I haven't read any of Claire North's stuff, but I've heard like great things about all of them and especially that book. Yeah, I, I always shout about her books because I love just about everything she's written, at least under the Claire North name. But yeah, no, Harry August is great. I'm a sucker for uh, like the movie Groundhog Day where there's time loops. Uh, I don't know why. That's just a trope that I can't get enough of. Uh, and this is time loops over the course of an entire lifetime. So you're oh. born, you live your whole life, you die, and then you're born again back on the original year you were born. Uh, so it's mm. not like you're reincarnated. It just resets the entire universe. And so, of course, the main character of this has an eidetic memory and can remember all of his past lives perfectly. Uh, and they start to notice that uh, the end of the world is happening sooner and sooner every iteration uh, because there's other people that loop through time as well and they can pass messages back and forwards in time. Like a young kid can be born and then tell a really old person who also loops in time and then they wake up at the start of their life 50, 80 years earlier and they can pass the message that way. So I don't ah. know. I, I thought that's a really cool idea. That sounds great. Have you read uh, The Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle? I have not, but I've heard good things. Yeah, that's sort of the same. Well, it's a similar premise. Um, they, well, it's kind of not, but it is. So it's kind of, it's a time loop thing. The main character has basically seven days. They relive the same night over and over seven times, but as a different person each time. And he only has seven days to work out who killed Evelyn Hardcastle. She dies at the end of the night every time and like each day he gets closer and closer to finding out who it was but as each different person he has access to like different people and different clues and he has to find ways to pass messages to himself and it's just it's a brilliant book i think i read it in like three sittings i read it over the course of like two days it's fantastic it definitely sounds like something you would love yeah that that sounds like very much my thing i'll have to check mm. that out by Stuart Turton, if reader, if not readers. That's the one where you read with your ears. Listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Yeah, well, I guess uh, talking about uh, reading books to review and everything, uh, how did you get started blogging? Because I know you've been involved with like four or five blogs so far. Um, I don't know. Maybe three. I don't know. If you yeah. count, like, writing for Tor.com and Fantasy Faction. Oh, yeah. And... I forgot about Tor.com. I wrote <laughs> for them a bit. Yeah, that's cool. that was really cool, actually. Um, I mean, yeah, I've always loved getting to, like, ramble about stuff that I love, as you can tell. I got into blogging. It was back in 2013. I'd spent the last few years studying English Lit at university. Um, so I did my undergrad degree, and then I did my master's degree. And I did... Uh, I also did a teaching degree, um, trained to become an English teacher. So I was sort of, I was immersed in books and reading and academia and learning. And I didn't read a book for fun, 
once, like over that entire like four or five year period. Oh no. Which is insane when I think back now, but there was just, I was just like it totally snowed under by books that I had to read. And I kind of forgot what reading for fun was like. In 2013, I, I had like my first proper teaching job in a high school and it turned out it was not for me. <laughs> I hated it. I uh, actually <laughs> had a bit of a nervous breakdown um, and ended up like leaving my job and leaving the profession. Um, and then I had like a few months until I started a new office job that I'd managed to get. And I, I basically needed a way to sort of make myself feel more positive about things and spend the time doing something productive, but also something that I enjoy. Uh, a hobby. I needed a hobby, basically, because I I had none. And yeah, I'd, I'd gone back to, I'd actually decided to try reading for fun. And I had a bunch of books on my shelf that I like bought, but never read. And I decided to start with The Name of the Wind um, by Patrick Rothfuss which was amazing. I don't know if I'd feel the same now, but it was brilliant then. Like I said, it was the first, it was the first sort of adult fantasy book that I read for fun since like all those years of being at uni and stuff. And then I read Prince of Thorns by Mark Lawrence. And that's awesome. And then, yeah, I, I wanted to tell people how awesome it was. And then I found Goodreads and decided to start my own blog because why not um so yeah i had my first book review blog it's called the it was called the half strung harp um the name came from a, a a satiric poem called english bards and scotch reviewers by uh lord byron i can't remember if he was mocking hack writers or critics but he says something about them like strumming away on their half strung harps like to anyone who'll listen and that's where it came from. It's sort of a bit of a self-deprecating little name, but I liked it. That's such a clever name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I like it. I like that it does actually have a meaning and I like that it's kind of stuck with me because uh, like now, um, and the name was Taya's idea, but um, like I published my lit RPG a couple of months ago and under the pen name Demi Harper, it's like it's the closest to half strung harp you can get like in a name oh you know I, I was gonna ask you about that i was wondering how you chose that pen name yeah taya uh tl graylock um she writes us if um you've come across her norse fantasy books which are amazing um she came up with a name a couple of years ago you know uh, mark lawrence well it's agnes mazaras she runs the flash fiction contest on that long guy website and um i'd entered the year before but um i wanted to enter again but all I knew, I personally knew all six of the judges, um, so I submitted under a pen name, and yeah, Taya came up with the pen name, and I I, I got like an honourable mention without <laughs> without oh, using awesome. my name for influence. <laughs> and, and that was that same pen name that Demi Harper. Yeah, that that was the one. Sorry, yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the um, that was when I was Demi Harper, and she was Bronwyn Frost, I think. A few others entered under pen names, like Phil Tucker entered under a pen name too. And we all just had this, it was just a really fun little thing that we all did. It's like, let's just submit under pen names and see how we do. It was good. It was fun. <laughs> we don't get out much. 
<laughs> I mean, that's, that's part of the writing life, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much part and parcel of it. Although that said, like when, when we do get out, like we like to, we like to have fun. Like I was at Bristol Con last weekend. Um, and it's great. Like I was saying to you, like before we started recording, like we, the clocks went back a Saturday and we, we'd stayed up till 2am and it was like, oh, we should probably go to bed. Like, nope. The clocks have come back an hour. It's only 1am. <laughs> I mean, there's quite a small group of us by that point, but yeah, I, I, that's what I love about writers, like, and just the fantasy community in general. Cause like people that go to cons, it's not all writers, it's, it's bloggers, it's readers. Um, sometimes you get editors and agents turning up too. It's, it's just lovely like everyone just everyone's so friendly and so inclusive and it's really easy to just sit there chatting shit with someone that you've never met before and you might not even have caught their name and you just sit there talking to them for an hour and then you'll find out like the day after that it was like a best-selling author or something and you're like oh yeah but they were telling me about their sisters getting married and stuff like that right it's just it's just good it's like this I'm talking about like the smaller cons like I've never been to big ones like world con and stuff I've heard they can be a bit cliquey um like by necessity because there's so many people there that the big authors would just get mobbed so they have to like have their own little separate VIP sections but yeah at the smaller cons so like in in the UK like a Edgelit and Bristol con and uh, even there's, there's a monthly get together in London um, every month called a super relaxed fantasy club it really is super relaxed it's it's in a pub um and yeah they they have different guests every month and they do readings and q a and then everyone just drinks and hangs out that sounds great <laughs> it's really nice honestly it's really nice because a lot of people look if you've never been to an event you kind of think of world con or something like that and it's like really intimidating and you're like oh my god there's loads of panels and it's like a hundred pound a ticket and wow that's really crazy but there's so many smaller ones and i like those smaller intimate ones because they're just so friendly and way less expensive than the big ones and it feels good to sort of go there and support them um especially because a lot of them are quite friendly to um indie writers as well which is nice um, and small presses and things. Like I said, it's just really inclusive. And yeah, Bristol Con last week was brilliant. Yeah, I I need to uh, try to find some of those smaller cons. The only con I've ever been to is Dragon Con in Atlanta, and that's often called like the Mardi Gras of fantasy <laughs> cons because it's huge. There's there's like over well over a hundred thousand people each year now, and the streets are mobbed, and it takes up like five or six skyscraper hotels, like. It's a lot. That's a lot of people. It 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 really is. Is that the one that's in? Is that in January? Am I thinking of a different uh, it's one? It's in September. It's at the start of September oh, well, every year. That was close. I oh, know it's it's con. Is it confusion <laughs> that's in January? It might be. I I'm honestly not as familiar with the con scene as I should mm. be. I mean, I I only know because I kind of I have a lot of right indie writer friends who are in the states and like they're planning on going to one in January. I think it's confusion. So like if you if you like okay. manage to get to that, then there would be lots of awesome people there. And of course Worldcon in twenty twenty two is gonna be in Washington. I I really hope I can make it. That would be <laughs> I'm already trying to make plans. Yeah, I mean that, it would be a shame not to. Like I I feel like a bit of a tip for not being able to make Dublin earlier this year. Cause it, you know, it's literally like an hour on a plane for me. 
but it's just it's too big and we'd already had a load of expenses this year so i just stuck to the smaller cons again yeah and you get that nice intimate experience like you were saying yeah exactly like i mean i hung out in london with a you know dirk ashton and my friends today we spent a couple of days in london with them before they went over to dublin and uh, and they were just the pictures they were posting and the updates and the like five days at the con and they were all sharing a hostel room and it just looked exhausting <laughs> after two <laughs> days i'm just like i'm ready to go home and just get in my own bed and nap and put my pajamas on not in that order so yeah i'm, I'm not really sure about the big cons but if there was a way for us to uh to make it over to Worldcon in 2022 that would actually be pretty awesome maybe we get to meet you yeah that would be cool it would be very cool. There's so many people in the fantasy community that, you know, I only ever interact with online. Mm -hmm. So that kind of thing would be really awesome. Yeah, it's 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 mad, like, how you can talk to people online for, for years and, like, you you know, your closest friends, and yet you've never, like, met them or spoken to them in person, which is, is nice. I, I like that because if not for, like, the internet and social media, I would never have met anyone that I know now. Like, all of my closest friends I've met through like fantasy groups on facebook and twitter i love twitter yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's crazy um well i guess speaking of twitter i know uh, i've seen you talk about like board games and gaming a lot on <laughs> there so uh and especially as you know a lit rpg author uh you work game mechanics into your mm -hmm. writing uh so is it pretty safe to say you you like gaming Nah, I hate it. <laughs> I do. I, I love gaming. I didn't I didn't actually get into gaming until I was like seventeen. Like my boyfriend at the time introduced me to games like you know, PC games like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights, um, Icewind Dale, those kind of games. And I and I was just like, How have I never like come across these before now? Um and I, I so the same with like a lot of console games. I never played final fantasy until i was like 18 and then uh yeah i got final fantasy 7 <laughs> i was like this is my favorite thing in the world <laughs> oh my god the remake is coming out in march i heard about that yeah this is so exciting are, are you not a final fantasy guy uh th this is where once again i have to turn my fantasy card because <laughs> so i've never played final <laughs> fantasy <laughs> i keep exposing you i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's okay <laughs> My dark secrets had to come out eventually. <laughs> to be honest, I've only played, I played six, seven, eight, and nine. Then I didn't really like 10. Then I didn't like 15. And I tried 14 a little bit because 14 is like the MMO one. Um, okay. I guess my darkest secret that makes me probably have to turn in my fantasy card and my lit RPG card is that I'm not a fan of MMOs. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> oh, well, that that actually explains a lot because I know, uh, like your book, uh, God of Gnomes, it feels more real time strategy than it does like MMO. Yeah, that was the um, that was that was the idea. It was combining the dungeon core genre with sort of games, you know, like Civ Builder games, which I, like I'm not a huge fan of those kinds of games either, but. Like, I like the concept, but I've never enjoyed playing them. So I kind of, I wanted to just take the best bits and sort of make it something that was interesting to me, um, which is why it's, it's God of Gnomes is quite, I don't know, I guess it has more of a, 
it's less focused on statistics and things than a lot of other RPGs are. But I, I try yeah. to strike strike a balance, you know, between that. Have you what other have you read like really crunchy lit RPGs? Um, I'm trying to think what the crunchiest would be. I, I've only read a handful of lit RPGs before. Um, mm-hmm. I only just really found the genre I think earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but. I've read Phil Tucker's series. Uh, oh, the, Euphoria Online. I'm going to forget the name. That's it, Euphoria Online. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I mean, that wasn't that crunchy, but I, I did, from not knowing anything about lit RPG to jumping into that, and when you got your character, you know, pulling up their menu and looking yeah. at all their points they have to spend and how they're going to upgrade themselves and their talent lines, uh, it, it felt a little a little crunchy. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's, like, that's in in a world where he's actually entered a VR game and you expect that. I think my one of my main struggles with God of Gnomes is that it's not, it's it's in a secondary world, but he has those kind of mechanics anyway. It's basically like an alternative to a magic system. And I, I actually really struggled with m- making it game-like, if that makes sense. Because like if, yeah. if if the main character was like actually playing a game, that'd be fine. Yeah, like you said, I'd be like, I, I open my menu and I do this. But I, when I was writing it at first, I felt like a bit of a dick writing things like, <laughs> oh, what I've learned this new ability. What is this ability? And but yeah, like the more I got into writing it, the more I I like it, and it I think it it works. I like the um, I really do like the genre, and I think one of the big appeals of it is the um like the sense of progression like it's not subtle <laughs> but it's it's satisfying it's like i guess like leveling up reading about somebody becoming a better character in a book it is satisfying but it's not as immediately gratifying as reading seeing them get like a thousand xp and oh they've leveled up they've got a new ability it's like yes you get like it's the same rush as like when you're playing a game really it's like gaming vicariously which like it, it's Another reason I like readings uh, a lot of RPG because I don't like playing MMOs, but I like reading about other people who are playing them. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. I get that. Like I, I hit. I don't know why I don't like MMOs so much. I think it's just the people. <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah, people are a bunch of bastards. But yeah, um, people are the worst. They really are. <laughs> yeah, I've always been like a, a single player RPG kind of gal but i do like a bit of couch co-op really hoping that uh diablo 4 did you see the trailer the trailer just dropped yesterday i have not it looks amazing um i i love i've only played diablo 3 before now but me and my boyfriend like couch co-opted it and it's so much fun it's just, just smashy smashy smash and um, killing demons and it's brilliant it's so much fun but uh, yeah then th- watch the trailer for the new one it looks great i really hope that yeah i'll have to check that out yeah i really hope that has like the couch co-op thing as well because i feel like that's you don't really get that anymore you know it's all mmo it's all playing online type stuff with a lot of the time with people that you don't even know and right and i miss just i miss being able to just sit down like with your friends and pass them the controller and sit down and just be like, play it like Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. It used to have that for the uh, PS2. And I loved that because yep. um, me and my sister used to play it and it'd just be like, okay, you you can be the elf if you want and I'll be the dwarf. I've got a big hammer and it'll be like, no, come back this way. And it's just so much more fun. 
maybe I guess fun is a matter of perspective. <laughs> there's less freedom, but I don't know. I like it. It's more, it feels more social to me. I mean, yeah, there's there's something to be said for just being able to hang out with your friends and like play the game with them rather than forced to play with someone, you know, across the world somewhere you've never met. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I'd like I've I've got no objections with being able to play online with other people. Obviously, it's it's impossible to play couch co-op with if your best friend lives in like across the world. Um and that's great. I love that. What I don't like is like you said it's like being forced to team up with people who might be dicks. So, yeah. <laughs> like, the reason I fell out with Final Fantasy XIV was because, like, I loved it. I was really enjoying it. And I was spending hours bumbling along, learning different professions and things and mining, like, just hitting rocks with a pickaxe over and over again. <laughs> it was so much fun. But, like, the um, the actual story bits at, like, key points in the story, you have to... Um, I can never remember the name of it, but it's basically just, like, an event and you, you have to enter like a specific dungeon and you have to wait until other players can enter with you because you have to have a balanced party um so like you've always got to make sure that you've got like um i think it's a tank and two dps and a healer in one party like rather than it just making like ai people to go in with you you know just like computer generated companions you have to wait for real people and a lot of the time like the people who who play it they've done these duties they're called duties group duties that's it and a lot of the time the people that you're playing with have played these duties like so many times like they've they've done them over and over and over and over and over and over again and they know exactly like what you're up against but for me I was playing it through the first time I wasn't 100% clued in on how the mechanics were working and then I had these three people who were just dashing off ahead of me and and like they already knew all the strategies for the different battles within. And when I didn't instantly know what to do, like, oh no, don't hit that one, go and hit this one. And I'm playing it on console as well. So they're like typing. <laughs> I'm like, I can't type a response. It was just, it was a traumatic experience. And uh, in the end, it got to the point where like, I, I, to progress the story, I had to go through another group duty. And I was just like, nah. So yeah, that, that sort yeah. of thing stresses me out. I, I just wish they'd had a function where you could choose for it to just spawn some AI companions for the duties so that you didn't have to worry about. Because as well, like those the people who play it, like they because they've done those dungeons so many times, they, they just charge through. They don't exp they don't like loot anything and it's just I'm just like, wait, what? There's something over here. And I think that's another reason I'm not an MMO person. I, I love I love taking my time. I love bumbling about and like, you know, when you've got like a quest marker like to the north, I would go in every single other direction first and do all yep. the side quests because <laughs> that's that's fun. That's fun, in my opinion. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Back in the day when I used to play uh, World of Warcraft as my MMO experience, uh, it always took me like five times longer than any of my friends <laughs> to level up because uh, I was just like wandering around and exploring and doing the random stuff. Enjoying the game, as I yeah. like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's, I think that your play style definitely reflects on the lit RPG that you enjoy or, or that you write. like. A lot of the ones that I haven't been able to get along with are the really crunchy ones and the ones that are obsessed with leveling up. 
Whereas the ones I really do like are the ones that they balance that out. So they do try and level up and they, they rejoice when they do, but they also enjoy their surroundings. They enjoy the game. And I, I thought Deathmatch, the Phil Tucker series, did a good job with that, actually. that I thought that was a really nice balance compared to others that I've read. And I guess I was like striving for that in Gnomes as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I noticed you, you're never saying like, oh, you now have 10,011 experience points. <laughs> you're saying like, oh, the the globes or the pyramids are almost full now. And like it gets the point across and you don't have to dive into that detail. Yeah. And even stuff like that, I ended up having to add more of that in, <clears throat> like in edits, because there wasn't enough of it. And like my editors who are like very familiar with the RPG genre, they were like, readers will be at this point, they'll be thinking, how how much do you have now? How, but how many have you got left now? So I had to sort of read it and pacing wise, add in bits that recap. So like how many godborn creatures he has left, like in a given battle. Um, I had to sort of think where people would need that information and try and put it in a way that didn't just completely screw the pacing up. It's really tricky. Yeah, it's really tricky. And I've had I've had like a couple of criticisms um from people who they wanted to know exactly how much mana he had so like i'll say oh he he did this and it it used a tenth of a globe of mana or something or he had it this had all used about half a globe he had like four and a half left and i've had people say like but i want to know how much is in that half a globe like how much they want numbers they really want numbers um yeah, that, that's interesting to me because I know like if you're looking at most genres outside of lit RPG, you might have like a big fight scene and they're like, oh, they started tiring down or something. And mm. you're not told they have 37 <laughs> stamina points. right? Yeah. So like people accept it there, but they're not accepting it even when uh, like God of Gnomes is not an actual video game. Mm -hmm. right? It's just the gaming mechanics. Yeah. Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> after the first book, it has not been canonically confirmed to be a video game. <laughs> or has it? <laughs> no, oh, great. It's going to be my answer to everything. <laughs> no, in interesting potential direction to go. Um, but yeah, I, that's one of the things that's kind of good about it, though. Like, in lit RPG, because there's there's so many, the rules are stricter. So if you are getting really exhausted at the end of a fight, if you've got like one stamina left, you can't suddenly, unless you have like an adrenaline surge ability or something, you can't suddenly ugh, have a miraculous comeback. And, you know, you are actually, you have these strict limits and it makes I think one of the things that people like about lit RPG is that people have to be more strategic. So knowing that there are specific limits to the world and to like your own abilities, it makes you have to be cleverer with what you've got. So even even the full-on RPG-focused lit RPGs, they're kind of still about resource management in a way. And again, it's that sense of like being being in control and quantifying things and... I think that's why readers get a lot of satisfaction from it. Right. And part part of, for me, it kind of feels like uh, lit RPG and the resource management is almost just forcing you to focus on writing structure maybe a little bit more because mm. uh, you can't pull things out of the bag if you haven't established that you have that ability or you have that resource available in the first place. Yeah. Um, 
Chekhov's adre- Chekhov's adrenaline surge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, with God of Gnomes being my first novel as well, I've made a lot of mistakes in it and pacing was not always my strong point and having the mechanics as well. I think knowing the um, the direction that the character had to go, so knowing what level he had to be to get certain abilities, mapping that stuff out first, that actually helped me to structure the story around it a little bit. Not so much in the way of like, oh, well, this event's going to happen, so I better give him this ability to help him deal with it. Just in the sense that it gave me something less ephemeral to work towards. Because I'm a big outliner. I... I, I really struggle to write. I can't do the whole blank page thing, you know, pants it. I have to know where I'm going, but I also have to know how I'm going to get there. Um, so to, <laughs> to give you an example, I've got, um, I wrote a short story for um, uh, an anthology that's is coming out later this month, actually, fingers crossed. Um, and I say short story, it ended up being 19K. But the out- oh wow <laughs> yeah whoops the outline wow. for it was 5k <laughs> so like right. but i was then able to write the story like a lot quicker because i i'd had it i'd have basically already written it in outline form and i was able to discover like discover problems in it and go back and fix it in the outline and i was also write bits of dialogue and like random lines of descriptions and stuff in the outline so when it came to writing it it was almost like already having a really rough draft and i was just expanding it i can't yeah, no i i i get that entirely and i identify with that really hard too because the one like relatively long piece i've ever written the outline was i think twenty thousand words oh so. <laughs> wow <laughs> that's how long was the actual the overall piece uh, it was around like 80,000 or so. So same ratio, really, like yeah. 25%. I, oh, that's good. It's not just me. Like the the quarter club. <laughs> yes, there you go, the quarter club. <laughs> Digital high five. If it's not a thing already, it should be. It is now. It is now. And we are the original founders of the quarter club. There you go. We should get badges and T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't even remember where I was going with that. It, it was just, yeah, writing is hard. I think that's where I was going with that. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair <laughs> statement. But yeah, writing lit RPG, like I said, it makes it easier in some ways, but also harder because of the uh, like balancing story and character development. It's it's so easy to get focused on, like you said, with um like old school fantasy, where a lot of it is focused on the plot and the quest and where they're going and what they're doing, rather than who they are and how they're changing. And I think. That I think I fell into that trap a little bit with um, with God of Gnomes, in that it ended up very focused on external stuff, and you know this is how many gnomes he's got, and this is the bad guy, and he has to defeat the bad guy, and he's reached level four, um, and I feel like in the sequels I definitely want it to feel more natural, so I want to focus a lot more on the characters, and there will be more characters in book two as well, which. I think, again, that'll be a challenge, but it will also be refreshing because it's it's really hard writing an entire book 
from the point of view of a guy who's just a rock and he only <laughs> and he only has like one talking companion <laughs> so that would be fun i'm gonna have more characters in book two so people will either love that or hate that yeah well and it, it keeps things fresh for you too right it doesn't feel like you have to do the same thing you've done before yes uh, yeah i'm definitely i'm looking forward to it actually quite a bit i think the uh, the adventurers are going to get a bit more screen time in this one spoiler alert <laughs> they're gonna come back and <laughs> um, i like writing those scenes yeah they, they were yeah. sort of a bit of a fresh a breath of fresh air when i was writing gnomes like the adventurer scenes just because it was it was i could write dialogue and characters interacting with each other and doing things because with with the main character being sort of like a rock slash floating ball of consciousness he doesn't have body movements or like body language and yeah it gets really hard you find yourself telling rather than showing which is why i think that's why i enjoyed writing the gnomes so much so like the gnomes as you know like the main character can't understand their language um so they're just talking gibberish to him so a lot of their stuff is about body language and the things that they're doing rather than what they're saying um, I think that's why that was quite fun, because it was like the op the opposite. <laughs> oh, so you you can't you can't tell. You have to show with the gnomes, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of personality that comes across from all these distinct people who don't say anything. Mm. Yeah, and I like um, it. It makes me think harder about writing in general because it's like. I had to think really hard about how to portray what these gnomes are doing and how they're feeling. And it's like th only through body language. And yeah, it makes me think harder about when I'm writing, do I include body language enough? Which is actually related to when I went to SRFC, Super Relaxed Fantasy Club, um, back in, I think it was August, Mary Robinette Cowell was there. And she's, um, I don't know if you know, she's a, a puppeteer. Yeah, and that's awesome. She, yeah, but she did um she did a little demonstration for us. Um she she made scarf dragon and she she used it to demonstrate it like you know if you're writing a scene how to use like almost stage directions in a way to sort of enhance what is happening and add more depth to it and that's kind of how writing the gnomes has made me more aware of things like that. So that was really interesting oh she was great it was <laughs> i still never read any of her stuff but yeah that puppeteering demonstration and just the talk that she gave was fantastic um what was the question <laughs> I, I, I don't even remember right now i'm just too focused on how jealous i am of this super relaxed fantasy club <laughs> oh i'm sorry i mean it's, it's a faff for me as well like i don't get to go very often because it's down in london and that's like 80 quid on the train for me plus like a hotel and people in London get it all. Yeah, no kidding. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like that was really good. And yeah, I think with um, with the gnomes and everything being like body language based, there's a lot more potential for humor. So like it, it was easier writing like bumbling physical, I don't know, like Charlie Chaplin style humor rather than <laughs> rather than going for like witty Tyrion style dialogue. Because um, I don't think dialogue is not my strong point. So it was nice having an opportunity to create humor in different ways. And that's why I like dragging like the creatures into it, like having the badgers and having Binky the spider. And there will be more 
cute creatures in book two as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it took a lot for me to wrap my head around that this written to be so cute, but it's a spider. <laughs> it's, I, I, I really don't like spiders. Um, like they, they freak me out. Um, I'm terrified of them. I, I don't kill them, but like I run away from them and I let my boyfriend Colin remove them from the flat. But like, yeah, I, I really don't like them. But I, I read uh, Children in, Children of Time um, by Adrian <laughs> Tchaikovsky. Have you read it? I haven't, but I know that uh, Tchaikovsky kind of has a thing for spiders, he right? He does. He does. <laughs> yeah, because I also read Spiderlight um, by him, which is sort of like a sort of a pastiche slash homage. Do you say homage or is it homage? Uh, honestly, I pronounce everything wrong. I learned too many words from books, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> exactly the same. Like, yeah, I, I just, I don't know how to pronounce it. Let's say homage just because it's probably most likely to annoy most people. That, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, that's what we're here for, right? Uh, but yeah, Spiderlight is quite a short book. And uh, and that's that's really fun too. And one of the main characters in that is a spider who's been like transformed into a spider person to accompany these adventurers on their quest. But because they had to have an evil person with them. So they went, they got like a representative of the spider race. But as the book goes on, it's like, is he really the evil one? Um, because some of the others, like the righteous ones, you know, like the paladin style characters are like really not good people. And it's all about evil is a matter of perspective and all that. And there's no extra, there's no like black and white. It's all gray. Anyway, but yeah, like the whole spider thing, like he's, he said before, like he doesn't like books that demonize spiders, like so much horror does. Um, he said that he's he tries really hard to steer people away from that way of thinking by like representing them in different ways. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to try and do the same. Not quite as cleverly as he did. <laughs> Children of Time is an amazing book, by the way. Yeah, I, I really need to get around to reading that. Mm -hmm. I actually own it, uh, so I have no excuses for not reading it. Mm, go read it now. <laughs> right now. Okay, well, I'll be a little distracted for the rest of this. <laughs> Which bit you up to now? Which bit of the book are you up to? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I read slow. I haven't even finished reading the cover. <laughs> don't read the cover. <laughs> I found that more and more these days. You know, I don't. I don't read blurbs as much as I used to, and I don't. I think I, I don't read them at all anymore. No, I feel like. Uh, Spiffbo, like the you know the self-published fantasy blog off for um for ear ear readers who don't know what Spiffbo is, um I think that's helped me a lot as well because like the fantasy hive are doing Spiffbo at the moment where we had to read like samples of like thirty books that we get given in our batch um and review them and pick a finalist and I think that's been really interesting. I haven't read the blurb of any of them before going into them, so basically I just have the cover and then just the writing itself to judge it by um which has been it's been really nice and really interesting because there's some like where you look at the cover and what what you actually read is like you like wait is this the same book so it's quite interesting for like a variety of reasons yeah i i get that a lot too uh i i helped out in spiffbo last year and then also just with blogging like 
so many books that I read are because I either have to or because someone I know like really pushed the book at me. Yeah. Uh, so I just don't, I don't read the blurbs. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's the reason I've come away from reviewing now. Um, cause I, like, I, I don't review books anymore. Like I, the ones that I read, I'll leave a short, like one or two line review on Goodreads and Amazon, but I don't, I don't write reviews on my blog anymore. I don't take review requests because it got to the point where I was feeling about reading fantasy the same way I was feeling about reading books when I was at uni. Like it, it had become something I had to do rather than what I wanted to do. Um, and I, I think that's, it's, it, it took me a while to recognize that that was why I wasn't happy. Um, I think it's important for any blogger to to realize that they've got limits and that they're not obligated to do anything we should be doing this because we enjoy it and as soon as you stop enjoying it try and figure out why um and then take steps to make yourself enjoy it again if that means like you know temporarily having a hiatus from your blog do it if it means closing yourself to review requests do it i said it took me way too long to realize that and i think i kind of lost a lot of the joy of reviewing because I've put too much pressure on myself. It's like, oh no, I've got, I said, I'll review this. I've got to review this. I've got to read this. And I just, I wasn't, reading wasn't fun anymore. Yeah, I know a, a lot of people go through burnout with that because it, it's almost like taking the thing you love and you use in your free time to unwind and it winds you up now. Yeah. You have like deadlines and stress and yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess what what have you been reading recently then? Well, I, funnily enough, the, the thing that I've just finished reading is um, it's for work, so it's an a, a proofreading client of mine. I've just finished reading the third Raveling book by Alec Hudson. Um, I don't know if you read The okay. Crimson Queen. It was a a finalist in Spiffbo. Ah, I have not yet. I have not yet. Another on the endless TBR mountain. Yeah, tell me about it. Well, yeah, I'm I'm lucky enough to uh, to proofread for Alec now, and uh, yeah, I, I've I've just finished reading the third. I've just finished working on the third book in the series, and that trilogy is phenomenal. It's it's sort of it's interesting because of what I was saying earlier about classical fantasy. It's because this has a lot of the same tropes, like it's it's classic fantasy done well, but it just feels, I don't know, it just feels new. I'm doing a really rubbish job of explaining it, but like, especially in like book two, it, it starts going down interesting paths and, but it, it has like, it has not the chosen one, but you know, it has like a prophecy and it has like a big bad and it's, it, instead of a farm boy, it has a fisher boy, but it's just, it's really good. Like I absolutely recommend it to, any fans of fantasy um it's fantastic the raveling trilogy i think that's how you say it yeah i mean that again i can't pronounce things but that does sound right to me <laughs> yeah. well i'd been i'd been pronouncing it raveling until like last week oh really and then i was chatting <laughs> yeah and then i was chatting who was i chatting to it might have been phil tucker actually we've been playing D D, um which is hilarious yeah, and then he was like, it should be raveling, like unraveling. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, su super smart. I've got three degrees. <laughs> like, <laughs> words. Uh, words. Wor words like, hard. Words hard. Words, words is hard. <laughs> what are you reading at the moment? Have you read anything really good? Um, I'm trying to think. What am I reading at the moment? I normally have 
three or four books going on at a time. I'll have like an ebook, an audiobook, and a physical book or some combination. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I just finished The Burning White, the fifth book to the Lightbringer series by oh. Brent Weeks. Oh, how was it? Uh, it was really good. I uh, Definitely. I mean, it's like a 900 or a thousand page book. So it's huge. And the first third of that's kind of all set up. Uh, once you get past that, though, I feel like it was a really great conclusion to the series. Oh, good. Yeah, I read the um, I read the first three in that series. Um, I really love the first two, um, especially the, that big twist that comes about a third of the way through the first book. Oh, yeah, there, like, there's oh like, oh, my God, three twists in every book in the series or something like that. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say which one I'm talking about because spoilers. But yeah, and and book two, um, the blinding knife. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, um, that won the Gamble Award, didn't it? And I remember at the time, I it had been up against King of Thorns by Mark Lawrence, which was like one of the best books I read at that point. I guess it still is. It's it's a really good book. It's really cleverly structured, um, <clears throat> but. King of Thorns missed out on the Gemmel Award for The Blinding Knife. And I was just like, <laughs> but then, then I actually started reading the series and I read The Blinding Knife and I was like, okay, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, I, I should really read the last two books. Yeah. Would you say it was a fitting conclusion? I, I would say so. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Hmm. Another en- endings done right example. Yeah, actually, that you know that should have been the first thing that jumped to mind when we talked about that earlier because I just <laughs> finished it. So, oh sweet. So what's what's next on the uh, TBR? I I well, so I just started this, but I'm I'm almost done with it as well. I uh, called <laughs> the Last Sun by Katie Edwards. Um, have you heard Ooh, of it? I haven't. So it's. Are you familiar with the Heart Striker series by Rachel Aaron? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Okay, well, dragons, isn't it? So dragons. It, it reminds me in the sense that it's urban fantasy, but kind of in a slightly futuristic and very high magic. So it's not like, oh, magic is in the nooks and crannies and alleys. It's no, uh, people are walking around. Everyone has magic practically. And it's it's well known. Like Atlantis has risen and all of the rulers of the world are based on like tarot cards. Um, hmm. And... It's it's very high magic, very fun, very snarky, very gay. Uh, lots of stuff that are kind of fun when you mix them all together. That sounds great. I, I like when you said Atlantis. I was like sold. I I love I love stuff that's when it drags like myths and legends into actual modern day times. You know, like a like Dirk's Paterna series. Right. Yeah. Like I just, I just love when stuff like that gets mishmashed. Um, so this sounds great. I'm looking. It has a really this Katie Edwards one has a really cool cover as well. Yeah, know. the cover the cover definitely helps sell me on it. Tarot sequence, sweet. Add another one for the TBR. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Travis. <laughs> I know, right? It's like a curse, <laughs> but we also enjoy it too. So yes, it's the best curse. It's the best curse to have. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, outside of books, uh, to close things out a little bit, what's one thing you've been ridiculously excited about lately it can be uh fantasy related it can be movies it can be games it can be anything doesn't even have to be like speculative fiction at all do i have to pick just one or can i quickly like list off a bunch of whatever you want whatever you want excited and well you said movies we recently went to watch joker at the cinema which is i went in expecting to hate it because i mean i don't really like dc movies anyway that much 
Um, and I'd seen the trailers and it just looked really grim and dark and I'm not a big grim dark fan. Um, and it took about maybe half an hour, 40 minutes to win me over, but it's fantastic. Um, and for anyone sort of like sitting on the fence thinking, oh, I don't really know if I want to go watch Joker, go and watch it. It's not what you expect it to be. Um, huh. It deals with a lot of like, it deals with some really good stuff. Like it, it deals with uh, mental health and society's attitudes to mental health and social inequality. And like they're, they're the antagonists in the film. And it's just, it's compelling. You just, you wouldn't expect it to be, but it really is. And it's, people have said it glamorizes Joker and, but it, it doesn't, it just makes you understand him better and also hate the things that have driven him to be the way he is. Like you still don't, you're not exactly rooting for him, but you definitely sympathize with him at least a bit. It's just, it's really good. It's like, it's, it's brutal and it's dark and it's fantastic. And it's funny. There's, there's a lot of humor in it too. It's just really good. Well, you Um, sold me. Okay. (laughs) And gaming wise, um, I've been playing a board game called Folklore, the Affliction, um, which is really fun. There's a lot of rules as there tends to be with uh, fantasy type board games. Um, And a lot of like grouching and well, pass me the rule book. Wait, what what did you say? What does this do? What do we do now? Um, But it's really cool. It comes with like lots of little tokens and dice things. I love dice. I love dice. (laughs) That's that's another thing that I get excited about. It's just a polyhedral dice. There's a load of Instagram accounts that just have super pretty dice. Um, And that's really exciting to follow. Oh, also we're excited about um, 3D printing. Um, My boyfriend has a 3D printer at his work and they just, they let, they let us use it for whatever we want. So we've been printing a, a lot of our own miniatures for gaming and, oh, and painting. That's awesome. It's so exciting. And there's this, um, there's an awesome Patreon. Um, again, it, I never know if it's Patreon or Patreon, but I say Patreon. I, I think um, you're right. I think you're right. I think, yeah, I think I am right. I always think I'm right though. Except <laughs> when I don't. Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a really cool Patreon called uh, the Artisans Guild. And uh, it's like $10 a month. And every month you get a new set of um, STL files and the miniatures that they that they sculpt it's they're incredible they're so detailed um I'll, I'll like I'll send you a picture afterwards of some of like the latest ones but they just ran a, a Kickstarter called Amazons and it I, I backed it obviously and they unlocked like all their stretch goals they got to like 100k um and it's just the quality of their miniatures is amazing they're so detailed and so sharp um so like yeah, I'm I'm super excited about those at the moment. That that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's so exciting. I'm actually probably going to go paint some after this. Well, I say some, but like it takes me like hours and hours just to do one. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I'm not visually artistic at all, so I'm in awe of anyone who can do that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not very good at it either. I've watched a load of YouTube tutorials and stuff like that. Um, but I'm still I'm still not great. But practice makes perfect. They say, <laughs> <laughs> I just have to put my, is it 10,000 hours? Put my 10,000 hours into this. Wow, and I'll be really I, good. I, I, I hate that stat because it's so depressing. <laughs> it really is. 
<laughs> still, though, I kind of like the idea that I will still be doing it in like 60 years time. Yeah, yeah, there is something like, to say for it. Given the amount of time I get to spend on it, kind of thing. But yeah, what are you excited about at the moment? Uh, let's see. It's like there's so many things to choose from, you know? I'm trying to figure out. That's why I cheated and told you lots of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess uh, we touched on this a little earlier. I'm really excited for all the quality TV that's coming out soon. Yes. Like, we've got His Dark Materials is going to be hitting in, like, soon? This month, I think? Uh, oh, or, wow. Or maybe next month. I don't know. But very soon. Uh the Witcher show looks great. The full trailer just released uh, yesterday, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as someone who, and that, I'm I'm really excited about it as someone who hated the first book and has never played the games, <laughs> but I'm thrilled <laughs> to get the chance to watch the show. So, um, <laughs> and then on Netflix, Dragon Prince. Have you seen that show? I haven't. But I've heard very good things about it. Yes, it's it, it reminds me a lot of. Avatar The Last Airbender, largely because mm-hmm. I think it's written by the same people and has some of the same voice actors. Um, ah. But yeah, so the next season of that's coming out this month. And then, ah, oh, there's another one. There's a big one. Oh, uh, I know uh, season two of One Punch Man is supposed to be, I think it's already out over there, but we don't have it yet. What is that? One Punch Man, the anime. Oh, okay. I, I've I've seen like no anime. Uh, oh no, my fantasy card. Uh, but... <laughs> I've only like started. I've only been getting into it for like the last year or so. Um, but you should watch One Punch Man. It's really funny. Okay, I, I've heard fantastic things about it, and the concept just sounds right up my alley. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> but uh, I do actually uh, want to pick your brain real quick on something. Uh, so you. You do play board games, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's say theoretically, American Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Uh, hypothetically, if one were looking for a game that's relatively <laughs> easy to learn and fun to play with a group that doesn't have a ton of gaming experience, do you have any advice uh, asking for a friend? <laughs> um, it's kind of tricky because I'm I'm quite new to board games myself, um, and we we kind of dived in with like the kind of complicated ones. So we're playing folklore now and we our first game that we really played was um, Aeon's End, which is a, a co-op deck builder game. It's really good, but it's really complicated. Um, but I have played, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Oh, I love that game. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I've played that at, um, at a friend's house a little bit. And that seemed quite simple compared to like, because like until that point we've been playing like Dungeons and Dragons and Aeon's End and it seemed quite simple compared to those. They also do a, a water deep version, I think. Um, Betrayal of Water Deep or something. If you're looking for a more fantasy rather than huh. a horror version, I, I don't know if that if that would work for you guys. But if you've already played it, you would know. Yeah, no, I, I think that would probably go over well. So that's good to keep in mind. Just don't go for a talisman. Okay. I remember I. Uh, I me and my family tried to play that it was years ago now so it might be okay now but it, it took us like three hours like just to work things out and get everything set up and we've moved like two squares along the board it's like no nope. <laughs> next time we'll just play mousetrap 
Yeah, I've I've definitely uh, made the mistake of like trying to play a game for the first time with people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's like, you know, six hours later, you've got the game set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I'll just go with like Cluedo or something. Not Monopoly though, that oh, break, break families apart. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you like have your own like family rituals with it as well? Like the same people do the same things every time that just angers everyone. Oh, in uh, board games or Monopoly Mon- specifically? Like specifically Monopoly. Like everyone has their role. Um, Probably, but it's been <laughs> so long since I've played because I disliked it so much. <laughs> it's probably for the best. Yeah, so like my, my dad is always trying to like team up with people. He's like, oh, if you, do, if you join up with me, I'll, I'll have your cards and stuff like that. My, my dad always like literally goes the Monopoly route and he's like, did you play like the big conglomerate um and like you know like a tried and a tried and true tradition is like trying to cheat where you can (laughs) not cheat but like you know if someone lands on your square if you land on someone's square where there's like a hotel and they don't notice that you've landed on it you're not going to say oh i owe you a thousand you're just going to keep quiet until it's the next person's go and it's too late right I mean that that's only fair, right? Yeah, exactly. It's their it's their responsibility as landlords to notice. Um but my, my sister's fiance, we call him the Monopoly Sheriff. Like he notices everything and he'll go, She's landed on your square and he just he <laughs> grasses everyone up and you can't get away with anything. And yeah, between him and my dad last time it was I think even yeah, they my sister and him nearly split up. I think. Oh no! See, <laughs> they're, getting, see, they're getting married next month. It's fine. <laughs> okay, yeah, it, it all worked out. It see, that, that's what I love about board games is the ones where like half the game or more is the interactions with the other people. <laughs> you know, you just like kind of rile them up and do whatever, and oh yeah, you know, you're also playing the game. Yeah, yeah. There's a. I just remember there's a, a really fun one called Dixit. Which okay. I <laughs> if I saw it D- written out, it might uh, I might be picturing it differently. D i x i t. I realized okay. that when I said it. I was like, oh my god, yeah, that's not the kind of game he's looking for. You've got to put your keys in a bowl. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I, it's been a while since I've played that as well, but it has some really pretty artwork. It, it's like cards with different pictures on, and one person. So, like, say I had a picture of, like, a rainbow and a yellow road. And if it was my go, so I would pick that card and then I would maybe sing Follow the Yellow Brick Road song or something. And then everyone else has to look at the cards that they've got and pick a picture that is, like, the closest to that that they can think of. And then you gather them all together in the middle and you lay them all out and everyone has to pick which card they think you had obviously they know that they know that their own isn't the one that you had but they have to try and pick which one they think is the one i think that's how it works okay Uh, that sounds that sounds good yeah so somebody else might have put like a scarecrow down or like somebody else might have put a different road down or something like that and it's just it's really weird and it's not for everyone but i really liked it if you like something you know a little bit different kind of thing it's pretty fun. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll have to check that out. It's called Dixit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's all I can all I can hear now. <laughs> I wish I'd never said it out loud. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. But yeah, it's, it, that's a good game. And like I said, the artwork and on the cards is really pretty. Um, there's another game also that I think is by like the same artists. And it, it's a bit like Cluedo, but not. And you had to like look at the pictures and the pictures were clues. And you play different characters. But I can't remember what that was called. I have to find out is and it, let you know. Is it... Uh, it Oh man, so many board games, they're running together in my head now. Uh, I think I played a game very similar to what you're describing uh, recently. I just don't remember what it was. And there's different rooms. Like there's a card that's a different room and you have to decide, you have different objects in the room or something. Oh my God, I can't remember. In case you were wondering, the game we mentioned is called Mysterium. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but it sounds like a good game. It is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask um, I'll ask Jay Pash that I played it with um, um my friend Jay Pash, JP Ashman, author of uh, Black Cross. Yeah, another <laughs> uh, book that I actually own and have been meaning to get around to. I feel terrible. I haven't read the sequels. Um, it's quite fun though because the the first book has a, a giant lobster in it, and uh, in one of our last D and D games with our in person group, we fought a giant lobster. Ah. I was going to say, like, that, that's all you have to say right there is I'm sold giant lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was actually really fun. We um, just total aside about that D&D session. We we went into a cave and um, there was, to, to sort of summon the giant lobster, we got given these, uh, what are they called? The little, like the slide whistles? When you like, you're blowing in it and you push the thing in and out and it goes, like that. Um. Slide he, whistle, maybe. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably what, that's probably what they're called, actually. But um, he got us like the edible ones. The DM actually got us like the lollipop slide whistles. So we were like trying to solve this clue because he'd given us like a series of numbers, and the numbers are like on the slide. So he'd given us a tune to play, but we were like sucking these lollipops while we were trying to play it. And uh, <laughs> and it, it ended up being row 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 your boat. Uh, so we all had to play that in time and then it summoned the giant lobster and then we all got to fight the giant lobster. It was really fun. I love D&D. But, um, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah, but it was funnier because, um, uh, do you know the clangers? Uh, no. Is that a musical instrument or a fantasy <laughs> monster? Or... <laughs> no, it's... I'm hoping that some listeners will will know what they are. It's it's like a really really old TV show about these little pink things that live on the moon or something. I don't, okay. I'm not really sure, but they look like little pink anteaters, and they're called the clangers, and they make little noises that goes. They sound like slide whistles, basically. And my my dwarf character, he's a cleric of a of the dwarven god Clangadin. So we were like, we're worshiping Clangadin, and it was <laughs> it was a top class pun that I just felt the need to share. Yeah, and well, I I always appreciate puns. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you like what the clangers are later, and you'll appreciate it retrospectively. Yeah, Retro- yeah retroactively. <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff I have to write down all this stuff I'm gonna send you later. Um but yeah, that's that's the clangers. <laughs> yeah, well uh, I guess I should probably <laughs> let you go since we've now run twenty five minutes over. <laughs> you're like, you're like on that note <laughs> you're a freak, so <laughs> Oh man, so so many great pull quotes from this episode. 
none of which make very much sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry for uh, for messing up. You, I know you, you had like the carefully planned questions, and then I was like, let's just talk shit. So I'm, I'm sorry yeah, no, if that no, that's, threw that's, you. That's, that's good for me, and hopefully. Uh, it was less stressful for you than having to feel like you planned everything out beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I think the the whole question and answer thing can feel kind of stilted. I think depending on depending on how good you are with answering questions, like I'm not that great with answering questions. I tend to sort of freeze up. So like for me, just the random back and forth is good. I like it. I like, I like derailing any conversation I'm part of. So I'm glad you let me. well really any like plan i come up with before is just like what do we have as a guideline if we ever need to like figure out what to talk about yeah it's written in pencil exactly Mm -hmm. exactly sounds like dnd um yeah and sounds like uh writing those unnecessarily long outlines (laughs) and then having to revise a lot not unnecessary not unnecessary quarter club unite that's true that is true i i i need Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. so quarter club uh, we'll, we'll get like those uh, those pins you were talking about, but they're just going to be like a quarter the size of regular pins. <laughs> but they'll just be like a plan for the actual pin that we're going to get designed. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we'll give the outlines of pins. It's, it's, it's a deal. We're definitely doing this. <laughs> All right. Well, well, this has been great, Laura. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I've had such a fun time. Um, and I, I love just want to say I'm be a really big fan of the fantasy inn. I know like us there's like this jokey thing that us at the hive and you guys at the inn are sort of like rivals. Um like, <laughs> it's definitely like friendly rivals if that's the case. Um we love you guys at the inn. Yeah and we love you guys at the hive too so but yeah thank you. It's it's been it's been a joy. You can find Laura Hughes on Twitter as at halfstrongharp or at our website, lauramhughes.com. There's a link to check out God of Gnomes in both the show notes and the blog post. If you like lit RPG, real-time strategy games, or even just looking for a fast-paced, bingeable read, I highly recommend this book. Or if you're looking for a shorter commitment, check out Laura's short story in the anthology Lost Lore. It's called I, Kane, and it's a brilliant monologue from a dragon full of snark and murder. Perfect combination. As always, you can find us over at thefantasyn.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyn. If you enjoyed this interview, a five-star review on iTunes helps more than you might think. Or just tag us on Twitter and let us know how much you love spiders. That's a thing, right? And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you can catch all our future episodes. That's it for this week. See you next time.